You're listening to the Irish Times. It's Monday morning on the Out of Time podcast with me, Malachy Clarkin, and Pat Nugent. Morning, Pat. Morning, Malachy. We are going to talk to Jerry Thorny later on uh, about Leinster's fantastic season, and we're going to talk to Sean Moran and Keith Duggan uh, about the weekend's hurling. But we're also going to spend quite a bit of time not actually talking about some of the sport that went on the weekend. Yep, purely because there's just too much of it. Talk about uh, Liverpool and their horror show in Kiev on Saturday. No, evening. we're definitely not going to do that. Yeah, good for them. Good for Liverpool. Yeah, good for good for them that we don't talk about it. Uh, maybe they, I think they just probably want to brush over it and just pretend it didn't happen, and we'll move on. Yeah, yeah. Especially so. for that poor goalkeeper whose name I've I've decided to forget. Lars Carey is not a key. I hope somebody is keeping an <laughs> eye. Much, on much like Carries. much like he will. Isn't there a right to be forgotten on Google? Won't that, isn't that what he's exactly. doing? Yeah, he, he is contacting Google this morning, <laughs> getting his name removed from every every internet search that you can do. Um, we're also not going to talk about Ireland, uh, who are playing France in soccer, I should say, uh, in the Stade de France tonight, a game that I realised was on about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> well, I, I very much enjoyed my last uh, soccer match uh, in the Stade de France when Ireland played Sweden during the Euros. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have a fine memory of that place. I, w- I just associate it with Thierry Henry's cheating, so I don't... Uh, I'm... I've had much, Stade de France scrubbed from all my Google searches. Yeah, much like Harry's, I've forgotten that as well. We're also not going to talk about Rory McIlroy and another strangely hot and cold weekend where he left a lead slip. Yeah, although is it strange anymore or is that just what Rory does now where he gets himself into position and doesn't finish the job? It doesn't doesn't bode well for the rest of the year. And we're not going to talk about the Gaelic football qualifiers, the first no, round of the qualifiers. because that's, that's sort of the vogue now. We're, we seem to be a hurling country. We don't really talk about uh, the bastard child of the GAA. We don't talk about the football championship. Even though there was plenty to talk about over the weekend, uh, especially, uh, God love Pura Longford, nobody's going to be really talking about them because the one Gaelic football thing we are going to talk about is Carlo's fantastic win over Kildare. A sensational victory, yeah. And... It, out of the blue, to some extent, although it must be said that next year, Carlo will be playing in Division 3 and Kildare will be playing in Division 2. It's not They're not as far apart as possibly people would make out. That's true, but at the start of the season when the championship draw was made, yes. we, this would have been Division 4 division yeah. against Division 1 and this would be... A kind of a, a cup upset for the ages. Well, one way or the other, you couldn't really be telling people uh, at the Carrow game yesterday afterwards that it wasn't that big a deal. It was an enormous deal. Uh, and actually, to talk about it, we've got uh, one of the uh, Carrow heroes on. Uh, Daniel St. Ledger, of course, has been a, a mainstay of the Carrow team for over a decade now. And he joins us now. Daniel St. Ledger, hello. How's it going, Malachi? Uh It's going well for me. I presume it is going far better for you. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's... Um it's kind of only settling settling in a little bit now. It's kind of, it was a bit surreal yesterday for a while. You know, you're kind of you're a little in a little bit of a day. You're very tired as well. So you're a bit of a zombie. But um, it was uh, yeah, it was nice going to work with a, a pep in the step this morning. Look at that going to work. I would presume the whole of Carlo uh, is off work today. Yeah, I think uh, national holiday. I think. But um, I know. I think there's actually uh, there's a couple of lads of different things going on with with bits and bobs in the work. So there's probably about a, a half and half split. It's a half the lads are still chilling out, and the other half are up. Up doing something. Well, of course, uh, and uh, you uh, had to get back up to Dublin because you uh, teach up here, of course. Yeah, that's right. I'm in uh, St. David's CBS in Artane, so 
we have um, today is our last full teaching day, so I said no, it'll be a bad one to pull a sickie today. And of course, it, you, you had another intercounty player uh, from the school uh, uh, playing yesterday, of course. Yeah, yeah, myself and, and Stephen Tuxton, so the, the two of us are battling off here trying not to talk about football, so it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a friendly place to be, as you can imagine. <laughs> Tell me this, Daniel, um, you know, on a, like, the, the euphoria is, is fantastic, um, but I wondered, uh, thinking about it last night, does this win, does it even sort of supersede what you did last year? Because, okay, last year you went on a run, you played two Division 1 teams, but you, your wins came against two Division 4 teams. This is a win mm. against a Division 1 team. It's, it's a, you know, so so legitimate. Yeah, it, it's a funny one. Probably to, to, the, to the outside world, it's, it's a massive, massive um, scalp, I suppose. And, and it is in reality, you know, when you're looking at Division 1 team and Division 4 team. But, Kind of within the group, we were kind of confident enough that we were matching up fairly well with Kildare. You know, and we mm. kind of we'd done our bits of analysis and stuff, and we thought we'd we'd be we'd be competitive definitely right up until the end. But I suppose you, you can never you can never you don't really know what the result is going to be like. But we, we were fairly sure we were going to be right up there with them until the end. But um, to come out with a seven point victory is probably more than more than any of us could have hoped for. You know, and I suppose that's that with the hundred percent with the shot records. You know, with no white and that. I mean that doesn't happen. That's not something you can depend on every day. But um, things just kind of fell for us, you know. And like to, to say, a Division Four team beating a Division One team by by seven points is, is a fair margin of victory, you know. Well, no, no wise. That's the that, that's what you have to expect from now on. <laughs> We've set a serious standard, but <laughs> no, I, I tell you that's that's kind of born out of the two leash games we played in the league. You know, there was um, after we got promoted against Antrim, there was a serious kind of emotional. Um, Drain after it nearly, and we the two leash games we were fairly we were fairly sick with ourselves because things were things were motoring so well for the whole league, and and that 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 kind of league final was a nice showpiece for us to kind of get ourselves out there and put our best foot forward, and we we just didn't we didn't perform, you know, we really we really never got out of the steps at all. So since that game, you know, we've been working we've been working massively on our efficiency, just scoring wise, and it's nice to actually see something that you've been working on on the field. Kind of bear fruit, you know, and it's it, it's kind of it's not really about the how a lad kicks a point or how someone gets a goal. It's more so about the decisions that you make when you're in the right positions, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the big thing, actually knowing when to shoot and where to shoot from. Take me back, Daniel. You're playing for for Carlo, I guess. What twelve seasons as a senior in the county now? Is that uh, this, this number eleven? Yeah, this is number, number eleven. 11 yeah. yeah, like you know, there. I presume there must have been years when something like this just felt. So far away on the horizon. Yeah, well, you probably not to look back too far. I mean, mm. in 2016, I think Loud bet us in Port Leash 320 or 220 something to, to, to 311. Like, uh, we got a ridiculous beating, you know. And mm. at that stage, it kind of it couldn't have felt any further away, you know. And it's this, this kind of stuff in your wildest dreams. But I suppose what it, what it, it kind of it does, it, it shows a template, you know, that's, that it can be done with a little bit of organization. Like, we have. A lot of the same, a lot of the same players. Um, obviously, Torlo brought in Stevie Poacher, which was, which is, a, uh, which was a huge thing, you know, because it kind of shared the workload with Torlo a bit, and it kind of brought a new dynamic to things. But like, it's, it's, it's there's a real template there for for any county, any Division Four county. I mean, we're nothing, nothing particularly special. We're just organised, and we've a good old spirit, and I think that that kind of really counts for a lot. So, I suppose to answer your question, you know, there's definitely days not so long ago that. 
that it really never seemed like this was going to be this is going to be something that could ever happen, you know. And whatever about being organised and what, whatever about attempted and all that, like a key driver and all that has to be belief. Like you, you gotta, you've got to share the belief within each other that this will work. Yeah, and belief is a funny thing. Like it's, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. I mean, the only way you can get belief and kind of create that, that culture in, in a squad is winning games. And then you can't win games if you don't have beliefs. So it's, it's mm. kind of like which comes first. But I suppose we always talk about uh, like something that Stevie says fairly regularly is about having confidence in your preparation. And we we would take it that we prepare as well as any other county in the country. You know, like we really go into fine details with stuff um, with both on opposition and with our own stuff as well. You know, so we kind of when you're coming home from training on a Thursday, you know that you literally couldn't have prepared or trained any better you know you, you get a little bit of confidence from that and I suppose going back to last year then when you when you kind of get your couple of wins in Division 4 that's, that's a, a kind of a building block and then the two games against Division 1 teams really brought us on let's say in the, in the top few inches you know because it was just to see that we could compete with these teams was, was enough for us to say right now we know what it's like to compete let's try and take it on to another level where it's not just competing or moral victories it's actually going and taking the scalp and I think that kind of I, I know a lot of people talk about, um, you know, outside of the, the bigger teams that that the league is is essentially the championship for, for Division 3 teams and Division 4 teams. You know, the league is their most important competition. Is that is that what you found that, that the last two years, especially in the league, that it's been it's been that's where you've built all this up? Yeah, it probably is like and. I don't know. There, there, there's an awful lot of talk about about kind of once the league is over, championship means nothing. Like, but I don't think I don't think you can. That's a bit of a cop out, really. Like, you know, the league definitely is our most important competition, and championship is a bonus. But at the same time, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't give back days like yesterday for no. for anything. You know, it was <laughs> there's never it, it was there's never been a you, know? you never do, never celebrated a league defeat or, or 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 sorry a league win like that, or it's never felt a league win has never felt like that. No, no, there's just something special about it. And it's the old cliche, you know, championship is championship. But there is something about summer days, you know. And, and I think even from a supporter's point of view, you, just, you get more people there. And it's kind of just a different atmosphere. But I suppose you, you, you asked me, if you asked me this morning and we'd lost yesterday, I'd probably say, look, that, that was bonus territory. The league was right. our main goal, you know. So I suppose it's a bit, uh, it's results-driven analysis sometimes, you know. Uh, well, you know, and, and uh, but but look at this, like, you're you're in a Leinster semi-final now. You can't, you can't be... You can't be using the term bonus territory around the training there for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> no, I'm sure it'll be bandied around a bit now. But <laughs> uh, look, it's um, I suppose it's funny one with Leash. Now it's the third yeah. time we're playing them this year, you know. So, um, in fairness to them, like they had it, they had us figured out the, the first two days, you know. The, the, in fairness, and they really played well both days, and like the the, the first half in Croke Park, I mean. They just they put on a display of kicking that day, you know. So we're going to be at the pin of our collar, you know. It's kind of with, with Kildare, we were a bit of an unknown quantity for them, you know, because we were coming in completely under the radar. But with Leash, kind of they know exactly what's going on, and that's what we do with them as well. So look, they'll probably be going in with you know favourites tag probably that you know, which is kind of hopefully will suit us, all right. But um, it's it's they'll they'll be they'll be enjoying seeing us coming out of the side of of that result yesterday. I'd say. Well, I don't know. The cat's out of the bag now, Danny. You're uh, you're you're under the radar. Is uh, <laughs> is kind of blown, I'd say. We're trying to stay there for as long as possible. Well, listen. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, do this before uh, the Leinster final as well, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll chat again then. <laughs> please God, please God, Daniel. Thanks a million. Cheers. Appreciate it. Thank you for all of. 
Carlo's wondrousness and Longford and everybody else uh, yesterday, Pat. It was mostly a, a hurling day. You and I were in Thurlis. Yeah. Watching what you reckon is not a game of two halves. Um, well, a very strange game of two halves. Yeah. Like, it feels like an oversimplification to say that it's just that. I thought it was kind of a game of four halves. Tip played two completely contrasting halves and Cork played two completely contrasting halves. Well, maybe that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> but I I do think that Tipperary improved an awful lot in the second half. I don't think... Do you, Pat? <laughs> what, what I mean is that I don't think it's as obvious that Cork dipped and were suddenly shocking. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think that Tip's reorganising of the team at halftime helped greatly for what, what came afterwards. And maybe Cork actually took their foot off the pedal a little bit. But also, we're we're starting to gradually see in these championships the accumulative effect of the games. Because we'll say Offaly yesterday, not to switch to Leinster hurling immediately, mm. but Offaly were clearly on flat Saturday. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday. They gave it up, yeah. I think maybe Kilkenny people might argue that they were too, but we can come back to that. So we're definitely seeing these things build up. Maybe Cork's mm. legs went a little bit and, uh, and maybe Tipperary just had to rescue a bit of pride for themselves. Yeah, they they really turned it around. Uh, I, I get what you're saying that they they did improve, but my God, they had to improve. That that was you're watching Tipperary hurling a lot longer than me, but that's as bad a half as I've ever seen in the championship out of them. The strange thing was how bloodless it was. Yeah, the first half was like an A versus a B game the week before a big match. Yeah. And the bees are warned not to hurt any of the A's. <laughs> yeah, 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 because yeah. Cork lads were taking the ball up the pitch and they were doing lovely little kind of hand passing. They were basically um, doing soccer triangles with hand passes to create angles and then firing it over the bar. And it was just a comical lack of application from Tipperary. Yeah. Sean Moran is here. Sean, you were uh, down in uh, down in Limerick yesterday, but you obviously saw Tip Cork down, as well. Yeah, Ennis. Or in Ennis, apologies. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, I did. I, I, I see, um, obviously we were keeping in touch that I was watching it live uh, as well as it unfolded. Um, it's interesting the way the structure of the competition now uh, starts to play a role. As Pat was saying, like that's in terms of maybe fatigue and that uh, kicking in. But also, I think just the way that the just the way that the the fixtures fell, like you can see certain certain teams just a bit unlucky uh, to get the run of four weeks yeah. without without the break, and for Tipperary. We will talk about Waterford in a minute. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, their, and their lack of luck. Yeah, Tip, you know, in the past, um, and this goes in, in, in football and hurling, but, you know, you have the transformative uh, qualifier performance, which suddenly turns yeah. a team, yeah. you know, from, from a basket case into, into contenders. And in a way, that, that second half for Tipperary, has, I got a text from someone last night saying, oh, Tip will win the All-Ireland now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, an alarmed, uh, alarmed text from Limerick. Uh, I'm not sure that might be slightly uh, panicking on it a bit, but the, there's no doubt that it's fallen nicely because Tipperary now have that, that, that great half uh, and as they were saying afterwards, definitely they looked like they'd won a point and Cork looked like they'd lost a point. And uh, now they go to play the field hospital that is Waterford yeah. in the next round. So, you know, they have a, a really good opportunity uh, to, to kick on. And I suppose even at their worst, people probably felt that maybe they weren't going to miss out on the on, on the top three, but they're looking at a bit more robust than that now. Yeah, but and I came away from it thinking about the league structure as well because... Uh, there was something, I don't know, there was something almost a little bit more tangible or visceral about 
nicking a point at the end to put a point on the board, on the table, rather than to just force a replay. I don't know. There, there was something kind of different about it. Like like people were, were, Tipperary were coming out of that game with something tangible rather than yeah. in the old days you're hey listen we've got ourselves a replay now we can re, you know we can get ourselves together for for next saturday night or whatever this was this was an achievement yeah, but it's hugely significant so just switching subjects uh briefly temporarily the when the argument was over the the, the quarterfinals of football and the, the mm-hmm. group structure um I remember I was having a bit of toing froing on the on the subject um, with 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 someone uh, in in Roscommon and just pointing out to them that the you know the the awful spanking of the of the replay against Mayo wouldn't have happened yes. in in a group format because yeah. they'd have actually got their draw the, yeah. the first day in, in Croke Park yeah. and it would have transformed absolutely you know their experience of uh, yeah. uh, of that and I think it's the same um, I've been really impressed with the. With, with with the crowds uh, that have come mm. out for this twenty two thousand there yes yeah, yeah yeah and 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 you know and thirteen thousand in, in in Ennis and talk that they might have to go all ticket for the visit of Limerick on the on, wow. the, on the last day we would wait and see about that but um, it really has absorbed people now it helps that it's been so competitive I mean I think you were making the point today that you know that no no one in Munster has won two matches and no one's yeah. lost yeah. two matches so it's it's, it's it is it's, what, it's, we, it's we, what we kind of guessed it yeah. would be yeah well I, I to be honest I was sceptical about this when it was floated I thought, ah, look they really need the, the group formers at the end of the two you know where the best teams will play like in football um the, the provinces, you know, not really set up for this. But okay, it's serendipitous that the provinces are both so competitive. I mean, like even Leinster is far more competitive than it was yeah, yeah. A, a number of years Five ago. Years ago yeah. You know, as I've said before, like if you you play this 10, 15 years ago, no one's going to yeah. it because <laughs> yeah. you know Kilkenny are just brutalising everyone in the, in the group. And it was before the arrival of Galway, and we saw the significance of that uh, yesterday in, in in the Leinster context. So it's been it's been great. The only issue I have with the whole thing is it's a bit like an all you can eat restaurants you know that there's so much going on but yes there actually is only so much you can eat on a, any given day I mean yeah. you know there's 12 fixtures at, at, at the weekend yeah. and you're just kind of uh, you know you're you're, you're 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 dizzy almost trying to take in everything that, that that's happened well at the moment uh, to people some football fans are kind of already getting annoyed with the lack of football on television and the fact that the Sunday game led last night with hurling but later on in the season we're going to have the exact the mirror image of this yeah. as soon as Super 8s kick in so I think hurling yeah. fans should take it while it's going I think yeah the, gorge the, the themselves prob- the, the, the problem is that the your dad but when the football uh, kicks in um, later in the summer the hurling will be down to their really big matches so the there will still be focus I think Probably the complaints in football are that there are what would be otherwise significant matches are just getting lost uh, now. In the yeah, you yeah. mean like that Monaghan Tyrone match was a good a good example. Uh, you know, the, a match that would have been um, would have been on television and all the rest if it had been under previous formats. But but you're, then again, God knows we watched some awful matches sure simply because there was nothing else on. <laughs> so you, you know you can't have it both ways. Exactly. Yeah. How um, we we'll move on to your game. Um, what? Uh, how many black cats did have Watford run over uh, on their way across country? Yeah, possibly, possibly an entire home. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but the it's funny going into it. I mean, 
the the portents weren't really weren't great for Waterford because you know they, they hadn't played in so long and Clare had played the previous week and they were having to go to Ennis uh, and, and play away and it was going to be a, it was big for for Clare to have a first home match since 1997 in, in the Munster Championship um, but I still had a kind of an inkling that, that Waterford under Derek McGrath have produced you know unexpectedly mm-hmm. big performances they've also shown themselves reasonably adept at, at handling uh absences and through injury and yeah. discipline and that you know they they they, yeah. they, they beat cork without tiger de Borca last mm-hmm. year in the Ireland semi-final um but uh you know i wasn't really prepared for what happened there was a, a song when i was a, a kid i remember seeing it accompanied by a, a cartoon on the desert called four wheels on my wagon and the the the, the narrative is that a wheel keeps falling off, <laughs> but the cheeriness is maintained until there are actually no wheels on the wagon, and the uh, uh, and the Indians catch them. And uh, it was a bit, bit like that. That had happened by half time yesterday. Just, well, I would argue it happened after about fourteen minutes because Ty Burka went over and Banjax's shoulder, and he had to he had to go off. And then you're beginning to think of the critical mass here. Like crikey, they've. Um, what are we missing? Two of their best players. There goes goes another one. Uh, I, I I was talking on um, Waterford local radio beforehand and and saying I could see where Waterford I could see a pathway for Waterford here because I think their defence is probably I felt it was probably better than Corks. They mm. might get tight on on Clare. Um, they'd need to because you know even at their best, Waterford don't score huge totals. Now in the event, two eighteen was was, was was pretty good, but um, the fact was they were going to have to keep the target reasonable and and you know sc- score as, as as they could and they had started reasonably well now Morris Shannon who took over the freeze from uh, Park Mahoney had done really well at this in, in 2015 probably not helped because he's such a confidence player that he missed the first one but he got a goal shortly afterwards and you felt it was kind of game on like this is they they, they were leading by 3 4 Points and uh, they're going to, to really push this, but then Taborka gets injured, and you're thinking, Oh, well, now how is the defense going to hold up here? Um, and then you know, at the start of the second half, his replacement is as as a sweeper, Dara Fives, he has to go off. Uh, then you know, their fullback had to go off, Kevin Moran, their captain, got sent off, and you know, there were no wheels on their wagon by by, by, by the end. And I in fact, somebody, somebody was saying in, in, in the press box in Thurlis as we were kind of working away on the on the Cork uh, Tipperary game, somebody said, uh, yeah, um, I, somebody said, how's the Waterford game going? And somebody said, their five best players have gone off. And was, what do you mean their five best players? Because like, that would mean like the Burka... Is Brick gone? Yeah, Brick is gone. Noel Connor's gone. Yeah, Noel Connor. Noel Connor's hasn't been injured in, like yeah. in his life, and he was gone. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin Warren got yeah, sent Noel off. Connors, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, I Noel always Connors. Noel Connor's made of some granite like substance. I didn't think he actually yeah. could be injured. Yeah. Um, Steel yeah, beams. He, he's mm. got a disc problem in, in in his back. So they were they were really um, reduced to, to the minimum uh, in a way it was kind of miraculous they, they only lost as they did uh, I mean they kept plugging away in fairness to them but you could just sense that like the odds are just too high here and uh, the, the, there was a, a graphic on the Sunday game last night pointing out that they are now nine of their All-Ireland team from last year 
are either injured or likely to be suspended or not there uh, basically yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or yeah sorry yeah, or not there yeah exactly to, to, yeah have to, yeah. Uh, uh, aren't available this year so that's that's nine of the of, of the 15 yeah for, of, of what you wouldn't have said was the deepest panel well, in the world yeah, anyway you know, know like, the, like in the build up to the All-Ireland final last year you were going right well Galway can spring the bench the yeah. bench yeah. Uh, Waterford, the, Waterford will throw on Morris at some stage but that's kind of their one trick well that's the capriciousness of it really yeah. that they have you know that they already under pressure for panel depth and they've got absolutely devil like a plague yeah. swept through their, their dressing room and uh, it, it's um, it's very unfortunate I mean next week you know they go for for one of their uh, their home their, matches in in, home in, games in, in, the, in the Gaelic grounds against Tipperary I had to look through the records here and they, they've met tip a reasonable amount like a good handful of times in Limerick in the history of the Munster Championship and they've only won one that was the Munster final in 1963 so the idea that uh, they're not only going there but they're going there as an as advantaged by home uh, venue it must be uh, a kind of a, a macabre joke on top of all their other well, sufferings. Well, I saw Derek, Derek McGrath saying afterwards that he had kind of said to Park Mahoney and Austin Gleeson, lads, we might need you next week. Or... Yeah, but he, he was he, he was kind of, he was holding the competing thoughts in his head that on the one hand, player welfare, we can't just rush them back. And it's a good man to do that, Derek, when he's talking to yeah, reporters. Yes. He, do, he often does... <laughs> kind of talk to the angel on one shoulder yeah. and the devil on the other shoulder while he's talking to you yes. in answer to a question. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah and, and and this is it. Like, do we bring them back? But then, you know, the angel has a point because there'll be another two matches to come uh, yeah. uh, after that. But really, really un- unfortunate for them. And in a way, we're seeing, if you like, a, a downside of, of of the structure in that, uh, you know, you Waterford might have, might have got... Got by, although yesterday they'd have just they'd have just been beaten. You assume in in mm. the Munster first round or semi final or whatever it was. And, but the qualifiers are a, are a slower burn mm. than this, and they've got to go out. and And the problem for them is that, uh, unlike under the old system, you can actually be out of the championship really by, by by the end of May, beginning of June, and they're going to be really under pressure. Was it possible to judge much of Clare yesterday? Yeah, I, I was I was impressed with Clare because. I, uh, have been sceptical about the way they lost to Cork, um, you know, in, in this kind of usual fashion of of staying neck and neck and then just getting beaten in the run for the tape, mm. which has happened to them quite a bit. I thought they're, uh, I, I I thought they went about their business, but now obviously they were they, they, they were helped and they had a bad start, um, but there was a kind of a critical swing where where um, to Burke had just gone off. What was the chance of another goal? It, it was blocked. Went up the other end. Uh, John Connan got fouled for a penalty. Uh, Peter Duggan just stitched it away and the the match began to shift then. Clare got another goal uh, a few minutes later. Uh, Conlon again, who had a really good match and that's that's like two man-of-the-match performances in a row for mm-hmm. him, really, given that he was the the official uh, award in, in Cork the previous week. And once that happened and... Once and the plague of locusts, yeah, and, and, and the plague Waterford. of locusts descended on, on, on Waterford. I mean, they battled as best they could, but they would never have been a, a, a team for you know chasing down big leads anyway. But because you know their their strength isn't so much at the at the top end of uh, of the field in terms of, of scoring. So yeah, it was just very unfortunate for them. 
The other big game of the weekend was uh, the All-Ireland Champions who are back in harness. Uh, Keith Duggan was in Salt Hill. Keith, this looked like a fairly uh, comprehensive display of power from uh, Galway. Yeah, it was. It was um, It was just a very intimidating, very physical display. Um, obviously, they won, they won very convincingly. Walter Walsh got a late goal to uh, put a weak loss on the scoreboard for Kilkenny, but they just really, really struggled to find any space to even get shots away. As you probably heard, they just had two points from play over the course of the over the course of the day. And uh, I mean, the worst that was for uh, you know other potential Ireland champions is that they didn't even play particularly well. You know, they they they, they sort of played in patches. Um, the aggression, just the physical aggression, and the appetite for for uh, physical contact was the uh, was the most striking aspect of their play. That's two games then, because they they were that would have been more or less my takeaway from their game against Offaly, where they were grand, uh, not amazing, uh, but like in a couple of sort of five ten minute spells, just sort of blew the other team away. Yeah, I mean, I have to kind of commend Kilkenny on sticking with them for as long as they did. They worked really ferociously hard. Uh, for sort of 55, 60 minutes. And then, you know, in the last quarter of the game, um, Neil Donahue brings in Jason Flynn, Niall Burke, Jonathan Glynn, you know, just three huge men coming in. And Galway rain and ball down on that full back line all day. Um, and, you know, the dial had to break at some stage. And Conor Cooney just struck three, three really sumptuous points uh, in succession. Uh, Joe Canning as well uh, had a terrific long range point and you know the game just just left Kilkenny very very quickly at that point but even though you know um, Walter Walsh the goal disallowed sort of midway through the through the second half that would have left uh, three points between the team there was never a sense in the uh, in the stadium that Kilkenny were going to threaten to do anything really really shocking here Keith Brian Cody had a, a, a face like thunder for a large chunk of the match I don't think he enjoyed seeing not only his team being physically bullied, but coming up against a team that their active tactic was to play long ball and say, right, we'll rain long balls down in Kilkenny, <laughs> which used to be their bread and butter. Yeah, and this will yeah. how be how we'll get at them. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a it was a provocative tactic. Um, it really <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Um, but, and, you know, as well as that, I mean, Brian Cody more than anybody would have recognised what he was what he was watching. You know, it was a, it was a pretty that word that he used to sometimes object to being applied to himself ruthless. It it was it was just that um, they were it was they, they they were they were just kind of relentless going. You know, um, and even late on they were still you know the front six were just tracking everything, hustling everything, just making their making their physique uh, count. Um, so, yeah, I'm, like I didn't see Brian Cody's face during the game. He just back to us, obviously. But afterwards, he was well. He he, he was very generous in his appraisal of of Galway. I think he also knew that this was probably uh, this was probably what awaited them uh, when they when they arrived in Salto. Keith, um, did you think that Kilkenny looked in any way tired? I was conscious of the fact it was their their third match and Galway had a break um, and. We were just talking earlier about the impact of the, of this format on on teams from that point of view. 
Yeah, I have to say I didn't think they looked fatigued. I thought they looked really, really uh, engaged with the with, with, you know by, by by the challenge. Um, as I said, their their work with was ferocious. Um, their back six was under sustained pressure. Even you know Conor Fogarty and James Maher a couple of times early on in particular, you know got a couple of nice touches around midfield, but they were just so quickly engulfed by maroon shirts that they virtually disappeared. You know, and it was really left to T.J. Reid and Walter Walsh who had the kind of physical prowess to 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 front up uh, to the Galway defence to sort of um, lead the way for for Kilkenny. Um, obviously, Richie Hogan was uh, was was. Named on the panel, he was in, he was on he was on the subs bench as well. And Brian Cody alluded to the fact that you know they didn't use him as it turned out. And I mean, if and when they meet again, you know Hogan will obviously have have you know he'll deepen the experience of of, of that team. But I felt it was just more a question of um, being kind of gradually and then very quickly overwhelmed by. Uh, the depth as well as the physical strength that, that Galway brought to the game. Galway go to Wexford now uh, next weekend. Like that's um, that's a serious game. I, I, I or well, I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder where that Leinster Championship is now because the top three teams have sort of separated themselves from the bottom two. Um, and I wonder if if between now and the Leinster final. You know, either Wexford or Galway or Kilkenny for that matter are going to be kind of. Keeping something back, trying to playing a wee bit of shadow boxing ahead of a Leinster final. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that that that's the thing. It 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 is entering strange territory now. Um, but I mean, it's not as if Neil Donny is going to try and sort of second guess. I think what 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 may happen mm. further 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 down the field. I mean, I think they'll probably certainly go. They'll just look at this as a really good competitive game, and I think. You know, last year they just got into a winning habit, and it worked for them. And I imagine they're going to want to try and keep doing that. Um, yeah, summer. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. I think like of, of all the teams in Munster and Leinster, they're sort of the one team that has that luxury of just they're not looking for anything. Everybody else is, is sort of searching for something this early in the season. They they've got they they have what they have. They have what they have, and they just want to they just want to tap back into um, what what worked for them last year. Um, and you know they're only as I said it, it felt to me that they would they just you know that they, they they sort of just tapped into that smoothness that they have only for kind of bursts here and there and you know they also gave away a lot of kind of freeze that they look at um, just from over let's call it over exuberance they were just too physical dirt to tackle Keith dirt. <laughs> over exuberance is an no, Irish. They were, but they were I know just, that's an were, Irish Times word for for, actually, for dirt. They were, they were actually just daft fouls. <laughs> they weren't even. I'm not talking about the penalty. I'm talking All about right. freeze further out the field. They were just. They were just. They were just clumsy fouls. Um, and they'll need to. They'll need to tighten up on that. Excellent. Listen, Keith. Thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, Mal. The rugby season is still going, mm. still ongoing. Jerry Thornley is in here with us. Thanks for coming in, Jerry. Not at all. You're welcome. Good morning. Um, the on the weekend, Leinster completed what must be up there one of the best ever seasons by an Irish team. The best ever because it's never been done before. It's never been done at European Cup, Stroke, Magnus League, Pro Twelve, Pro Fourteen, whatever you want to call it, um, Championship, whatever. It's never been done before. Not even the great Leinster team under Joe Schmidt could manage it. They managed the European Challenge Cup. 
and Pro 12 double, but not this, the two biggest prize guns. There's very little silverware in rugby. It's not like soccer where, you know, a team can start out and potentially have four or five trophies to play for in a season. There's only two and they've won them both. And, uh, and have been the best team in both. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, despite what Stephen Jones might say in the Sunday Times or anybody else, you know, but just looking at Saracens now, yes, Saracens are a very good team. Leinster beat them and beat them well. I remember meeting Owen Farrell that night in Mulligan's assignment and he conceded as much as Leinster were just the better team of the day, mm. end of. And uh, they've beaten, so they've beaten the English champions, current English champions, newly crowned English champions, who are also the reigning European champions. They've also dethroned the Pro 12 champions in the final. They've also beaten their greatest rivals, Munster, in the semi-finals a week after the high win the European Cup. They beat Montpellier, who are now in the top 14 final, will probably beat Castra. Um, they beat an Exeter, who are last year's English champions and this year's English finalists. It leaves absolutely no room for argument. <clears throat> They've been undoubtedly the best team, both domestically, quote unquote, and in Europe. And they're the best team in Europe. And they will go down as, they have to go down as the best Irish province in one season of all time. And just in terms of a season-long achievement, like you look at, James Ryan, 21 games unbeaten, whatever it is this season. Johnny Sexton, 19 games unbeaten this season. Tyke Furlan, unbeaten this season. Robbie I had Henshaw. Heard the, I had heard the James Ryan line because it goes around. Yes. You know, he's never yes. lost a game of professional rugby. Yes. I hadn't realised that Tyke Furlong has played 24 games and won 24. Yep. Not even a draw. No. What, so his last defeat was in the Lions, I guess? First test. As for Johnny Sexton, first test. As for Robbie Henshaw, somewhere previously on that tour, they haven't lost. And remember, in Johnny's case, I think Johnny's is the most relevant because he's the most influential in all the games. He has won 19 out of 19 this season. Only been on the bench in one of them. So he started 18 of them. And don't forget, he started the second and third tests in the New Zealand and they won and drew them. So he's, strictly speaking, he's now, what is it, 21 games unbeaten. And the last defeat he had was in the first test of Lions, when he was only on the bench and maybe Warren Gatland and co should have picked him from the start. It felt a bit uh, like Scarlett's at the weekend, kind of. So he, he's a bit like the Hulk, isn't he, really? Johnny Sexton, you just, you won't like him when he's angry. No. Why do they provoke him? Silly, silly boys. When will they ever learn? Like, that game was very much in the balance at 14-11 in the 39th minute. And you think, cheapers, Leinster have had 70% possession, 70% turn. They hammered away. They got a 22-phase try. Only for the Scarlets to come back and get a try of their own over 15 phases. And you're thinking, 14-11 is not a great return, but it looks like they're going to have to settle for that. But... It's very like, it was very like watching Ireland against Wales and Six Nations. You monopolise possession, you wear them down, and eventually you break them. And uh, Johnny then just took centre stage. He might as well have taken the whistle from the referee. He might as well have brought on an orchestra, a conductor's <laughs> hat and coat. And just he just ran the game from this point on. The crucial minutes, the championship minutes. He put up an up and under on Lee Halfpenny, which Halfpenny couldn't hold. Key moment in the match. From the scrum, he cross-kicks um, directly to James Lowe. Um, John McNichols concedes a penalty. And with 41 minutes plus up, uh, Johnny could have taken the three, said, no, we're going to the corner. Then they get a second penalty, he goes to the corner again. And then, I presume it was a pre-planned move, Luke McGraw, who had a fine game, goes blindside, and Johnny does this no-look, fixes Johnny McNichol's inside shoulder, a tip-on pass to, his, to James Lowe for a try in the corner. And not finished there, in the second half, 10 minutes, they pummel Scarlet's pummel, 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 can't get through. Johnny gets hit high um, by Scott Williams and hit on the way down by James Davis. And defiantly, stays in the spot where he believes the penalty is going to be awarded. Gets a few verbals from Scott Williams who passes him by and from Rob Evans. Lads, don't do this. You should know. And Johnny then drills the penalty in the corner. Uh, Sean Cronin scores a try. Johnny picks up the ball in his left hand. It's fascinating to watch. Um, you get a little bit of a glimpse on TV, but you see it in real time. And he just turns towards the Scarlet's players as he's walking back to the 22, glaring at Williams. 
and then having nailed the left-hand touchline conversion with the last kick of the first half, nailed the right-hand touchline conversion, game over. I've known Johnny Sexton since he was a little kid. I've known the family and I've known him since he was a little kid. And he's, apart from being a brilliant running, kicking, passing out half, he is the most fiercest competitor I've ever come across. Like, I would say he gets angry if he loses a game of drafts or tiddlywinks or anything he ever plays in his life. Since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, he's just always been this fiercely competitive animal and you just don't go to him. What be, how much a part of his makeup is that? Like, what, what, part. what part of a, How much of a driver of, of his career has that been? They always say, that you ask any of the coaches, I asked Leo Cullen about him afterwards and he says, yeah, it's not just what you see in the pitch and you see what you see. This is probably now the best out half in the world. Having his best ever season at 32. It's that he drives standards off the pitch. He said, and he drives the coaches as well, said Cullen, with a very knowing laugh. And you can imagine he's quite a pain in the arse for the coaches. Stuart Lancaster freely came out and said he's the best player he's ever worked with. Like, you know, this is, yeah. this is a driver of Leinster. And he was, if you remember, what's all the more remarkable about the Leinster stories, where they came from two seasons ago, yeah. Malachy, in, yeah. in uh, Leo's first season, a turbulent season, as he called it, um, after Matt O'Connor left... <clears throat> And uh, they won one out of six matches and got thrashed by Wasps mm-hmm. home and away. Had a really rotten season and then regrouped in the Pro 12 and got beaten out the gate by Connacht in the final. Connacht playing a much better brand of rugby, deserved winners in Murrayfield. And Johnny, quite openly, was critical of the culture in Leinster at the time. And Leo said there was plenty of meetings with Johnny. Johnny um, was influential in getting Stuart Lancaster in. So I think he's much more than just a general on the pitch and a a masterful number 10. He is as much a driver of standards in Leinster and in Ireland as any player around. Because that is interesting and I've, I've watched them at times this season and, and watched it just when they're when they're on it, they're so overwhelming. Like mm. They're such a powerful force. They're, there's there's yeah. sort of no arguing with mm. them. Um, and at times I've watched that and thinking where they were two years ago, three years ago, uh, in the O'Connor days and all that sort of stuff. And you kind of go, I wonder... This wasn't inevitable no. that this would turn around this way. Like I saw a little bit uh, of of uh, Scarlet's guy saying, you know, we can't we can't compete with their budget kind of thing. Mm. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, well, that that's that's you know, you can go there, but this definitely wasn't inevitable two no, years ago. Not at all. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say Leinster's budget, um, playing budget. It's hard to figure out exactly what is the budget because they've got about twelve players in international contracts. Mm. They're all funded by the RFU, and then the under the RFU part fund all the other contracts yeah. so it's very hard to know what exactly their playing budget is but I wouldn't imagine it's much more than the Scarlet which is about five five and a half million sterling or something right. like that I wouldn't imagine it's a huge amount more um, what they do have is this remarkable conveyor belt of talent coming through the school stroke club system you've got to give the clubs a little bit of credit here too you know you had James Ryan and others who produced like Dan Levy by Michaels but James Ryan started playing mini rugby at Lansdowne when he was five all the way through to 12 his dad was a Lansdowne player so I think the clubs deserve a f- bit of credit for this too the academy structure the identification of talent but certainly the system in the schools when they eat sleep and drink rugby like you know James Ryan we interviewed him last Monday and he was talking about video analysis at lunchtime mm. and he explained, no, no, this is very important. It's, it's a good thing to do. It's, how, it's the only way is you learn from your mistakes. You know, he's just a very devoted rugby player. And they're all very level-headed. Um, they're very grounded. And so a, a myriad of factors went into the transformation. But that yeah, was one the of them. The point was that there was schools players two years ago. Yeah, that that yeah. system hasn't changed. Like the club system hasn't changed. All of that sort of stuff. But it, it gets back to what you're talking about, that the culture mm. is driven by the leaders yeah. in, the, in the place. And also, I mean... Leo Cullen has masterminded it all. He's overseen it all. It's a remarkable achievement. I don't think it would have been possible had he not had the 
was he not man enough to bring in outside help? Humility. From, yeah, he had a sense of humbleness and humility about him, and he brought in Stuart Lancaster. And Lancaster, um, I remember him being his appointment being rubbish by one or two people at the time. I, th- I was always very much in favour of it, no less than Andy Farrell, because if you get a, a coach who's got a failed World Cup and a firing behind him, he's a better coach for that experience. Every coach, bar Joe Schmidt, has been fired at some stage. Even Warren Gatland was fired by Ireland, you know. Michael Checker was fired by Stade Francais. You go through them, they've all been fired at some point. It's difficult not to get fired um, because it's a results-dictated business. And for every winner, there's a loser, you know. And so you look, like Leo Cullen is the only provincial coach still standing from the start of the season. I saw him say that this morning. And and I suppose when you think about it, of course. But yeah. I never there's only thought. there's only four teams. Yes, and three of the head coaches <laughs> have gone for different reasons, yeah. and he spoke to all of them after they left. So you know he feels for them as well, and it could have been him after one year if Leinster had been impatient. But they brought in Lancaster, and players immediately started talking about Tuesdays. You know, this is the day that Lancaster took over on a Tuesday, and there were really tough training sessions, but upskilled and everything else. Now it's been a very interesting journey from there as well, Malachi, because the transformation that Lancaster wrought was quite significant. They went from being a little bit impotent to being the most prolific side in Europe mm. and the most prolific side in the Pro 14. They didn't deliver, deliver silverware because they got beaten in two semi-finals because, as Lancaster admitted, they only knew one way of playing. This season, they haven't played the same at all. They found different ways of winning. They've been a little bit more like Ireland. They've been a little bit more direct. Lots of runners off nine or ten. They can truck it up, go through multiple phases and wear teams down. So they've found different ways and they can even find ways of winning a European Cup final without scoring a try. So I don't think they had this in their weaponry last season. So they become a more complete side, a more rounded side and capable of winning matches, which you have to be in the dog days of winter and all the way through the season and in cup finals. It's just extraordinary that the the year after a Lions tour, the year of a Grand yes. Slam, and they have so many players involved in all of that. Yes, and yes. Their, their depth is, is is enough to carry them through, or they're maybe they're just their defiance as well as as their depth. Well, it's their depth as well. Fifty five yeah. players used now. Scarlets used fifty three players, you know, during the course of the season. Everybody has to unfortunately because it's just yeah. the demands of the season, particularly in a post Lions year. But the proof is in the pudding now in the tour as well, Malachi, that you know, 17 players from Leinster are going in this squad. Um, they're the bulk suppliers again. They were the bulk suppliers in a grand slam. But it's you have to say a lot of it's to do with the central country. And Ireland just got, got the system right from the word go. The provinces are not independently owned. So the RFU have control over their players and the game management is very significant when you think that Johnny has only played 19 matches this season. Yeah. That's significant. Tyke Ferland has played 24. That's relatively a lot. But even a few years ago, Jamie Heather was totting up 30 games a season. That's not happening anymore. Like in a post-lines year, they've been very well looked after. It's been very intense because apart from a couple of Pro 12 games or Pro 14 games early on, they've all been provincial derbies, European Cup pool matches, knockout matches, and then internationals. So they've been fairly full-on games the whole way through. So they've needed their rest, but they've been very, very well looked, well looked after. And that's why most of them are still standing. And that's why all our lines are going on the tour to Australia. Yeah. So Joe Schmidt is able to use Australia as a dry run for the World Cup in a way that Warren Gatlin can't, uh, in a way that Eddie Jones can't, in a way that Gregor Townsend can't. The squad depth is kind of making, leaving them open to a couple of things that might come down the line. What do we think is going to happen with Joey Carberry? Joey Carberry, I feel he's going to get asked this. Um, well, he's not going to Ulster by all accounts. Um... You can understand where Joe Schmidt and David Nusifor are coming from. They want their backup out half, starting more than one match in, for his province in the season of 10. Joey Carby only started one game, and that was a home defeat to Benetton. The problem is that when Johnny's in camp with Ireland, so is Joey Carberry. So he's not getting that run of games that Ross Byrne is instead getting. Then when both are available, if they want to get Joey on the pitch as well, they tend to play more at full back. Um, I don't know, could they have been boxed a bit more cleverly in terms of picking Joey out half? 
rather than fullback when Johnny wasn't there and they didn't do that. So Joey's only had the one game at 10. So you can see where Joe Schmidt and Nusifor are coming from. They want Joey playing more matches at 10. We got that beautiful vignette, that cameo on Saturday when he came up, came on and stood up Hadley Parks, did him like a kipper, went on his outside, beautiful pass inside to Luke McGrath. There's very few at halves around can do that. I think Joey Carberry is a sensational talent and um, it would be great for him to go to the World Cup as the backup at half and he may well have to move to Munster for a year to do that. I'm not sure this is strictly fair in Leinster. I'm not sure that Nusifor particularly quite gets the Irish system. The reason that Leinster have done so well, if you, I think it was 18 of the 23 in the European Cup final matchday squad were born and reared and groomed and developed in the province, you know. And the same with Munster, Ulster and Connacht. They punch above their weight in Europe against French and English sides with bigger budgets because they have this core identity that no other French or English side has. That so many, I think, I think I'm right in saying that only two of the Racing squad came from the Paris area. Or only two had played for their under-18s. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. you have that long-standing identification with your home province. And uh, it just seems to me that Leinster will be a little bit punished for developing Carberry and it would be a helping hand potentially to Munster but there would be some merit in jo- Joey Carberry going there not least as we play more regularly outside is, Conor Murray is, is as our, well. Exactly but is our understanding that that Schmidt wants him to go to Ulster uh, uh, and if Now he, Munster Now in, Munster yeah. but, but if if it is the case that, that Carberry initially sort of said no I don't want to do that in fairness to him that shows a fair amount of backbone Yep it would do and uh, I think you know his game can still develop in Leinster, um, with, particularly with Lancaster there, mm-hmm. um, working with Johnny Sexton as well. There's a lot of merits to him in staying in Leinster, but he would need to get more game time at 10. Mm-hmm. But it still, it takes, it takes a fair bit of balls now. And at his age, to be saying no to Joe Schmidt. If he does, you if know he, what I mean? No, but to, to be By saying... By all accounts, his head is fried. Yeah, I'd, I'd well imagine. You know, it's a very difficult decision for a 22-year-old to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good thing about the Irish system is that it is the player's decision. He can't be forced against his will to move to another province if he doesn't want to. And I think, you know, it's not like the New Zealand system, which is like a central contract, but players are just scattered, dispersed amongst like the five. Yeah, like almost like a draft system. Yeah. It doesn't really work like that. In our, the only downside to what's happening at the moment in the Irish rugby is that Leinster are getting too good almost, even for the other provinces. I think there's something like eight or maybe nine uh, Leinster players playing in Ulster next season. Mm. It's double figures in Connacht. And if Joey goes down to Munster, it'll be about seven or eight down there as well. They're just producing so many more. Their cupboard is overflowing. They're producing so many more. And the others aren't. Yeah. So that's a a bit of a concern down the track. Well, look, everything's positive for the minute and you're uh, on a plane to Australia on Friday. So... We'll uh, we'll worry about the the down days. Well, as, it would be uh, it's 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 still another big thing for Irish rugby to achieve. They haven't won a haven't beaten a Southern Hemisphere heavyweight, won the big three down in the Southern Hemisphere since Ollie Campbell inspired a two 0 series win in 1979, when famously he was picked ahead of Tony Ward, and they won the series two 0 So it would be a very significant feather in the cap with the World Cup in mind, 15 months down the track, Mal, because um, you go back to 2003. And England had won a Grand Slam and there was a tour to Australia and New Zealand and everybody said Clive Woodward was mad to bring his full-strength squad. But they went there, they won both tests, went once down to 13 men in Wellington and what happened? The core of them went on to win the World Cup. So I think it's a, a significant tour and it would be a great thing to achieve a series win. 
Well, hopefully we'll talk to you when you're out there. Yeah. Jerry, thanks a million for coming in. Cheers. And that's us for the day. Thank you to all the GA lads who were in earlier, Sean, and we were talking to Keith on the phone. Uh, we had Daniel Sendledger on from Carlo. Thanks a million to him. Thank you to Pat. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Declan. And uh, we'll see everybody next Monday. <laughs>